listening to the Carleton Political Science Podcast, brought to you by the Department of Political Science at Carleton University in Ottawa, Ontario, Canada. I'm Asif Amir, one of the PhD students with the program. The controversy surrounding the Trump administration recently reached a new zenith, with the Senate beginning its impeachment trial of the provocative American president, delving into questions of the abuse of power related to the alleged withholding of aid to pressure Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky to investigate Democratic presidential hopeful Joe Biden. The trial is seen in many ways as a reflection of the many clefts and fractures in American society more broadly, not only limited to its body politic. As the trial reaches the end of its first week and the questions of executive power and its limits steep in the minds of academics and the public alike, I'm quite fortunate to talk about the impeachment proceedings with Professor Walter Newell. Professor Newell is one of the longest tenured faculty here at the Department of Political Science at Carleton and is a specialist in the great canon of political philosophy and beyond. Professor Newell has written countless pieces on citizenship, morality, community, and a topic very close to home on the matter of impeachment, that of leadership. In fact, one of his most enduring books on the subject, Tyrants, Power, and Justice and Terror, was just re-released with an updated version, and I think was also just translated into Turkish, if I'm not wrong. Correct. Excellent. But a great scholar and a wonderful mind. Thank you for taking your time to talk to us here. Thanks for having me. Oh, no, the pleasure is absolutely mine. And this is such a fascinating time because we're seeing the manifest of much of the things you talk about in Tyrants work its way out mm-hmm. on the political theater with the impeachment of President Trump. When Democrats sought to catalyze the articles of impeachment a few weeks ago, it marked really a defined point of no return with this current impeachment trial in the Senate being only the third time in American history a sitting president has been tried for impeachment. What separates this trial of President Trump from other impeachment proceedings in the past? I think perhaps one could um, turn that around a bit and ask about previous impeachments. And to me, in the history of impeachment, the impeachment of Andrew Johnson was perhaps the most consequential of these proceedings in American history because Andrew Johnson, in effect, was attempting to undo much of the work of Abraham Lincoln whose successor he was. And he was subject to impeachment proceedings three times, led by his own Republican Party, because he was beginning to install what would later become known as Jim Crow in the South. And that was a very, very heated proceeding. Um, He managed to escape impeachment three times by one vote. And so I would say in terms of substantive issues in American history that the Johnson impeachment was kind of a bloodless second installment of the entire Civil War in which Lincoln's legacy was being fought over. I think in the case of the Watergate and Clinton impeachments, they differ from the current impeachment and trial because in the case of both Nixon and Clinton, there were parallel legal proceedings, criminal investigations and proceedings going on in parallel to the actual impeachment and trial process. This case is a little different because the powers of the former special prosecutor were pared back uh, after the Clinton impeachment and trial. And so there currently is no parallel legal track 
involving a criminal investigation, and, and therefore it will be difficult to criminalize these proceedings against President Trump for the simple reason that the Department of Justice is not involving itself. So it will be very difficult to launch some sort of investigation for perjury or obstruction of justice that will have legal teeth in it, if, if you follow what I mean. Yeah. In many ways, and this is just to be blunt, impeachment here actually seems like a bit of an impossibility, right? It requires two-thirds of support of a devoutly Republican mm -hmm. Senate. Uh, yet despite that, the Democrats are pushing with all their vigor and intent here. Why do you think that is? Is this more so about law or is this about politics? Well, in a funny way, I think that impeachment is a, an entirely political process. Not everyone agrees with that evaluation, but a lot of experts in the field of constitutional law do maintain that, in effect, whatever a majority of members of the House of Representatives deems to be an impeachable offense is one, and guilt and innocence is determined by a majority vote in the Senate. I'm of the opinion that impeachment need not involve any element uh, of criminality or a violation of criminal law which in a certain sense is frustrating because it means that at the end of the day, it is going to be a matter of political majorities in the two chambers. And that, in a certain sense, will deny, I think, people a feeling of closure uh, one way or the other. Do you think this trial will impact the election at all? Or are the minds of American voters essentially set? Because we, we kind of see that there's this defined line in the sand that's really been drawn in Amer the American body politic. Mm -hmm. And for me, it's this is really a manifestation of that in the institutions. Yeah. To me, the most amazing thing about the Trump presidency so far, as we near its first or perhaps its only term, depending, coming to an end, is how the needle on public opinion has virtually not moved since day one. 50% yeah. adore him, 50% hate him, and there's a small variation one way or another in the middle. That seems to be holding true this week because in some of the polls, like Rasmussen, he's actually fairly high uh, in, in terms of uh, his past popularity. I think Rasmussen has him at 49% support of the public today. So it, it just seems as if the impeachment and the trial proceedings are not making a serious impact on the opinions that people already hold. So even that political impact that Democrats are seeking just isn't happening? It doesn't seem to have. I mean, you were asking, you know, what they're hoping to get out of this. And I think one line of argument that you can hear their case managers already laying down in the Senate is that even the upcoming election is, in a certain sense, delegitimized uh, if Trump remains in office, that, that in their view, he's going to somehow cheat or make the outcome of, of the election uh, Ill illegitimate. And that seems to be a talking point that they are laying down with increasing frequency. Yeah, they're definitely looking at the impact on institutions and also civic perception of institutions, which is such an important thing because that goes beyond just the partisan politics, right? Then it becomes about what it means to be part of the body politic. Yeah, I, I, I think regardless of whether you think that Trump is guilty of wrongdoing or not, that one consequence of how this process is unfolding is that it's taken away something of the awesome and solemn quality of, of impeachment, which 
owing to its rarity, almost has this feeling of, of killing the king. There's, there's something kind of almost traumatic about it, and, and therefore it's undertaken with exceptional rarity. But I think there is a danger that impeachment henceforth is going to become just part of the standard bag of tricks for partisan politics, like the so-called government shutdown crisis, which, which takes place every year or so, in which both sides posture and threaten to bring the government down, and then at one minute to midnight, they quietly vote the appropriation anyway. And I, uh, Some people fear that impeachment now is just going to enter the standard repertoire by which a president of either party will just be routinely subjected uh, to this process. Yeah, it's rarity in the past, and now it's becoming almost the basic part of the toolkit. Yeah. yeah. And in Tyrants, you actually cite Hamilton um, in talking about how the, one of the fundamental aims of the Constitution was to quell like a Caesarist tyranny essentially happening in the U.S. And I found with this current trial, there's a lot of talk of founders' intent mm-hmm. coming up. What do you think the founders' perspective would be on what we're seeing right now with this trial? Well, people keep invoking Hamilton as having warned gravely against the danger of a purely political impeachment process. But I think the reason that they warned against that so strongly was that they knew very well that that was likely to be, at the end of the day, what drove it. After all, they set it up that way. You know, As I wrote in a recent article, in, in Germany, for example, either branch of the legislature can impeach the chancellor, but the decision about guilt or innocence is actually one that takes place in a special federal court. But in the case of American impeachment, there's no way that the Congress can usurp the role of the judiciary. It has no prosecutorial authority. It can't really compel attendance. It can't really enforce subpoenas. And and so I think, therefore, it's sort of nakedly evident that it is going to be a matter of who has the most votes. And I think the founders, too, as, as Hamilton famously said, we want to avoid having a Caesar or a Catiline emerge in, in the guise of the guardian or the servant of the people. But they were also concerned about majoritarian tyranny, as represented by the House of Representatives, and that's why they reserved the final trial proceeding to the Senate, which they thought would introduce an element of stability into the political system to counteract the perhaps overly populist or or overly democratic temper of of the House of Representatives. There's a lot that's been said about Donald Trump over the course of this narrative, not just in terms of the impeachment, but his presidency more broadly. But I'm really interested to hear your thoughts on Donald Trump as a leader, both of a party and a nation. Well, that's a very, very mixed bag, because even setting aside the issues of his personality and his style, I find myself very much conflicted on on many of his policies. I definitely view him as the final nail in the coffin of the neoconservative era of foreign policy. And since I myself was involved in that foreign policy, this is something that I regret. I think his green lighting of the Turkish occupation of that strip of Syria was a disaster, a simply disastrous decision, which has just 
increase the grip of Turkey and Russia over that country. So the isolationist mention of it is something that I find very unnerving. I have a feeling that he's being taken advantage of, taken to the cleaners, really, by King Jong-un. And I'm also unnerved by the protectionist economic policy, which, which seems to me almost like a, a kind of economic autarky in, in, in which Trump personally chooses those whom the state will favor at the expense of others. And, I, you know, I think he has some valid points about the unfair use of tariffs by America's economic competitors. But by the same token, his economic policy seems like such a wild roller coaster ride. And, and then finally, there are his, what appear to be his disturbing affinity for various strongman rulers and, and his, to my mind, deluded notion that he is somehow their personal friends and that this is going to, in the long run, resolve the issues between them. So yes, I, I, I find that um, I find that he's been a very mixed bag. And, you know, I, there are certain aspects of his policy that I like, like lower taxes. I think I think that was a sound thing. But but again, I, I suppose I would just describe it as a, as a roller coaster ride. And kind of the last question, which isn't related to any of this stuff. As I've mentioned, you're one of the longest tenured faculty here. You've written, I can't even count the amount of books oh. and articles and radio pieces and television appearances. What have you been working on these days? What's, what's going on in the world of Professor Walter Nill? Oh, well, thank you for asking. I'm, I'm currently writing a book, actually, on what I call The Dangerous Longing for Political Wholeness. And it's a series of linked studies of Rousseau, Schiller, Kant... Hegel, Marx, Nietzsche, and Heidegger. And in this book, I'm arguing that on one level, the philosophy of freedom, German historicism, longed for an experience of modern politics that was truly noble rather than reducible to utility and self-interest, uh, as, as the early modern liberal thinkers had argued. They wanted something more out of political life than Locke, uh, Locke or Hobbes. They wanted to restore a true sense of community that would in some way be based on the ancient Greek polis, though they knew that couldn't literally be recaptured. And yet the strange paradox is that this very longing for nobility in politics, for a kind of beautiful experience of what Hegel called aesthetic democracy, also seem to unleash some very dangerous and extremist political ramifications that, that directly affected some of the great revolutionary movements of, of the modern world. So in, in a certain sense, this book is going to be a scholarly book in the main, and it's going to form something of a sequel to my first book, for Cambridge called Tyranny, A New Interpretation, which was also more in a scholarly vein. The book I have out right now that you mentioned at the beginning, Tyrants, was written for a general audience. So now I'm going to go back more into the academic fold. Can't wait to read it. Thanks very much. 
Thanks so much for listening. Make sure to follow us on social media. You can find us on Twitter at CU underscore poli on Instagram at CU underscore poli dot and on Facebook at carltonu.polysci.